Hi, I'm Vicki Ann, Director and Founder of Creative Recruiters. Welcome to the Creative Studio Insider Podcast. My special guest this week is Bud Pert. Bud is the Creative Services Manager, Head of Creative and Head of Content Creation at Welcome Worldwide. Thanks so much for joining me today, Bud. Thanks for having me on, Vicki. It'd be great to talk. Let me start by asking you to explain to those who may not know who Welcome actually is. Yeah, Welcome's a bit of a discreet company in terms of how it operates. It's, it's not a big bragger in terms of, you know, like a big agency presence, but it is actually part of a big, really big agency group now. Um, it's a content production agency, which differs a little bit from your standard creative agency or strategic agency, and, and it's, it's very focused on output. Um, but there's a big breadth of services to what we do. We were acquired by the Innovation Group in late 20. 2019. So Innovation is a South, South Korean agency that's um, linked to Hyundai. So they, they acquired Welcome in last year. So we've just you know been obviously a pretty rocky road to that acquisition and sort of you know big change there. But you know, it's all settling in and it's going well. And what will be the benefits of the acquisition, do you think, for your business? Yeah, I think the acquisition gives us just a a much bigger global footprint than what we already had. We obviously had operations in New York and London and Kuala Lumpur and, you know, there were, there were growing operations in other places in Europe, but this really sort of cements that expansion, which is great for us to sort of work with a, a bigger agency group that's probably, you know, five or six times as many people um, to, to work with them strategically across the globe to grow more offices and more creative production operations, so, which is exciting. Exciting times. Um, you, you've had a really interesting journey into the, your current role where you are today. Tell me a bit about your professional background and how those uh, early roles, I guess, led to where you are today. Yeah, okay. obviously um, I came from a design background. I was a graphic designer. Um, I've always been a bit of a tech enthusiast as well. So it was quite a nice mixture to always work across. I've never really liked doing one particular thing for too long. It kind of bores me. So um, I started off as a graphic designer. I worked um, in the skateboarding industry originally, so I really liked that. And, you know, in that role sort of was very fluid in terms of what it was. It was a bit of marketing, a bit of design, packing boxes, whatever else was um, a bit of PR work. Mm. It was very, you know, small company, so we're, like, you know, having to all wear many hats. And that was really nice. So I did that for several years, um, which was great. And then I kind of moved on to just more general design work for a lot of small businesses, really. But um, that also expanded out to freelancing and, you know, working with some, you know, Melbourne freelancing agencies and talent agencies. That was really a good chance to work across heaps of different businesses in sort of chaotic states and relaxed states or, you know, usually chaotic when you're freelancing. You can't yes. Tell it's not a problem. So, um, but that was a great experience. At the same time, I sort of started doing a lot of um, web design and development. This is probably early 2000s mm. um, with, with friends. So we had some clients in the States and, you know, I was doing that outside of my normal work. So, you know, work all day, then come back and jump on work at night. Um, and did that for like years, really. But it eventually became sort of too taxing on me. <laughs> I think, that, uh, you know, doing 14, 16 hour days is just yeah. you know, sustainable. So I eventually took a job with um, Kmart at that time and that was you know it was about 13 years ago so I worked with Kmart group that was great you know small little studio just doing really really basic stuff <laughs> what I was doing is mostly retouching um, but that's okay I kind of got very good at Photoshop as a result but um, did that for several years 
and then took a role with Wellcom working on their Honda account, um, which was good, like running a little tiny studio for Honda, for Honda motorcycles actually. Um, then moved to Ford and had several stints at Ford in mm. different capacities, um, you know, from designer, studio manager, and then off to BP. I think back at Ford is where we may have met when you're at Ford, or it might have been a transition to BP, perhaps. It was a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, I I did Ford, BP, then back to Ford. So I I did move around there, which was really good. You know, I kind of liked the. It was, you know, I'm not a car enthusiast by any stretch of the imagination, but it was really interesting. It's such a complex sort of supply chain and an interesting world of vehicle production. So it was, it was quite, you know an eye-opener in terms of how that kind of organisation ran. And BP was similar. It was just a really kind of big organisation with many facets to it. Um, and then I eventually took a role as a creative services manager back at Wellcom, which was great. You know, that, that came up and I put my hand up for it and, um, you know, obviously wrote my own application for it internally yeah. and, you know, somehow got the job, which was great. And which was, um, at the time, it was only a very small division. It was probably focused on um, mostly like retouching creative retouching and that's what traditionally they had under their sort of creative services banner but that's you know that went from a team of um i don't know i think we had about four people at that point you know it's really small so that expanded out we eventually expanded the service services that sat under that so everything went from um we obviously built a digital team which is something we didn't have at that point so we took on digital services web development you know display banners that's expanded out into like motion visualization capture now strategy and ideation experience so it's kind of it's a long pathway to get there but we've probably got about you know almost 40 people in the team now under under me um, across australia so that's been a really exciting change of seeing that grow over like the last six years which has been good mm. And, I mean, your, your role when I, you know, I read out your job title, it sounds like it's three jobs in one, which is quite often the case for the poor creative services manager. What, what's the makeup of your team these days and how has that changed over the years? Yeah, it's got a, it's changed a lot. And obviously, you know, as a kind of new opportunity arises, you have to get talent and build for it, right? So that's sort of been the the biggest i think the biggest shift has probably been um you know we stand up a digital team originally it was like okay we just need developers and we need you know some digital designers or whatever but now that's kind of expanded out so we now have like a you know strategist who's you know who focuses on user experience and um you know people who can assist with user experience testing and you know development teams have to get more more detailed in terms of that structure and and the skill sets and obviously more animators and more video designers and stuff like that that's, that's built a lot um, in terms of you know there was very few people and it was very tv centric at one point and now it's pretty much all social centric um so there's a lot of we have a lot of motion graphics artists and ui designers normal general designers and art directors and stuff as well copywriters and um, video teams and everything so it's it's a really broad mm. set of services but it's designed for kind of like omni-channel um campaign creation where you might be doing everything from well, here's our landing page we're going to start with and here's our email campaign that goes with it here's our digital out of home campaign has our display banner campaign that goes with that um, and then we need a social plan and the social execution so it really has moved from you know uh, and i think it's data driven right from going from this sort of 
having a function that you sit in a chain of like an agency supplies something, then we execute it and do that. That's just all disappeared now. I, there's, there's the, the lines are just so blurred that they don't exist anymore. That was that's pretty much my view. It's like yeah. um, really is it the time constraints that you need to be able to respond quickly and you know um, change change course with a campaign like overnight if it's not performing or something's not quite right or you know. Um, they need to shift the media spend to change the channel mix of that campaign. That's been, it enables opportunity, but also means you have to have a lot of flexibility in that team structure and be able to you know, bring in the right people and pull them back and move them out when required as well. Typically, who are your clients? What, what industries do they come from? We have a very mixed bag. Like Welcome does have a lot of retail clients. So, yeah. you know, um, Welcome works with like, you know, places like Kmart, Coles, um, we also have, you know, clients in the financial area. So I work with like ANZ, Mercer, and then we also have, you know, fashion clients like Filler and stuff like that as well. So it's a big mix. Um, it, I wouldn't say mix. there's, yeah, yeah. There's, it enables for, you know, not to get too bored because you're working on very different sets of services for these clients as well. Like, and, you know, someone. And so what does a typical day look like for someone like you? Um, a lot of comms that's <laughs> probably the main thing you know like heaps of communication and um it it's pretty hard to predict obviously like i have a calendar and that pretty much fills out really quickly um and then there's not many slots there so you know obviously i've got team i've got teams in sydney and teams in melbourne so we have to obviously communicate mm. i try to get everyone on slack as much as possible just because it's easier for me to not have to do face-to-face with everyone all the time. It's just that's really, really difficult. And so um, Slack so is your program of choice for that? That's definitely one that I, for like informal internal communication, yeah, mm. that's what I kind of like. It's like, hey, I'm doing this today. I won't be available till 2 o'clock, you know, just chuck it there. Um, yeah. That's sort of what we use. Yeah, the, the tech, there's an interesting tech stack. We'll probably get to that in a sec. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's like my day is very hard to predict. So it's half, I'd say half pre-planned and half, reactive um so which is interesting but like as long as it's not 90 percent reactive it's okay but that's that's pretty much how it rolls and who tend to be your clients your internal stakeholders and how do their you know differing um uh priorities you know all their conflicting priorities how do you manage them yeah internally i work with um Obviously, CEO in business, business development team, sales representatives, um, you know, d- department heads as well, whether yeah. it's like the video or things like that. So it's, it's a big range. Um, and a lot of probably my energy is focused on, you know, business acquisition in a strange way. Like it's, um, you know, I, I do have a very kind of upfront role in, in, you know, talking to clients about their needs and then modelling services or solutions for that. Ah, um, at what stage are you brought into that that process, that business development process? Uh, it can be from from the RFP sometimes. It's like, you know, obviously I work on the RFPs with the rest of the team and then, you know, and, you know, follow that through, right through to delivery. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, I prefer it to actually have that, you know, um, in, insights and understanding of what the business actually wants initially. So it does help us improve delivery and make sure we're just aligned to what our purpose is there, right? Yeah. So yeah. I do find that, you know, the higher up the food chain it can get, the more useful it is in the long term. 
Um, I imagine that in a role as big as yours, choosing the, the right tools, um, the right platforms to keep track of projects um, and the progress of those projects is a critical responsibility of yours. Uh, over and above Slack, what, what tools are you using? Why did you choose them? And um, were there any challenges with their implementation? <laughs> so we've probably got like tools that we had pre-COVID and then tools that we got after COVID, right? So yeah. um, we've I've probably been I've been running Asana maybe for five or six years in terms of that's our day-to-day -day studio ops um, and task management, project management. So that works really well for just that visibility, right? In terms of who's on what, where, when, you know, um, who's available to work on something. So that gives mm. me a nice oversight. Um, you know, my skills on it aren't as good as what they were once upon a time. Obviously, I just look at things at quite a high level now. I just couldn't sure. see oh, what activity we got. But I do love it. I do like the sort of, you know, fluid board structure where you can just, you know, use templates or just make up a process for a more complicated job. Um, it's, it's probably one of my favourite tools. Not that, you know, there's many things like it, right? You could jump on Trello or uh, Monday and you'll get a similar result. But it's just, you know, personal preference. I'm just used to it. But that's yeah. one. Um, yeah. then we've got for like files and you know everything else obviously we've got we've got Dropbox which we just deployed just we're moving from like fixed servers just at the start of COVID and we had to rapidly roll we we're starting our trial at the start of lockdown um, and we had to move the whole business to Dropbox which is pretty sort of insane so that was that was actually really nice or not nice at the time but in retrospect it was a nice challenge to sort of go okay this is how we navigate like um, a mass deployment as fast as possible. So that was really interesting, but that's been fantastic as well. That's enabled, you know, working from home, working from anywhere really. Um, and just, and also consolidating that set of files, you know, we, at the same time we brought on a bit more process rigidity in terms of like, you know, this is how you should work and you know, this is how your folder should be structured. Everyone gets a bit yeah. native over time, right? So it was like bringing everyone back to a centralized process. Um, so that's been good. In my uh, other things for the tech stack, obviously we use Google Suite, right, for yeah. email and, you know, all the sort of word-like functions, office sort of functions. Yeah. Um, that's probably there. We use Meets, Google Meets. Again, that's yeah. just because it's, a, you know, but probably I've used every single video conferencing application around. Um, some other nice ones or interesting ones are probably used a little bit more. Things like Miro, which is like a... Um, a Group whiteboard, really? But that's I discovered Miro yesterday. <laughs> it's really nice. Again, yeah. there's like dozens of things like it, right? But it sort of just comes down to like, I don't think I want to learn every application. I'm just happy to just learn one. Um, and obviously, like Adobe tools have been have been pretty crucial, and some of the new functions there coming in from Adobe, like CC libraries and stuff like that, have been kept, kept us rolling. So um, that's really our tech stack at the moment. Um, it's probably a little bit broad and, you know, could do some consolidation after this um, experience. But at the same time, it's uh, it's been interesting to see how everyone adopts certain technology, you know, regardless of age or computer literacy, they seem to be, you know, embraced some technologies well, others not. And I think it's yeah. a lot to do with how approachable those technologies are and how well they're designed, you know. And I think the ones that are designed and they're, they're, they're intuitive, you know, anyone can pick it up and they can start to use it. And that's sort of, that's, that's how I usually try to benchmark it. How intuitive is this product for us to use? Um, you know, I've always figured, like, if, 
if I can give it to my mum and she can work it out, that's probably where we need to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to create barriers to that stuff. I think it's you know it's the worst thing you can do with technology is, is make it difficult to use or make it alienating. Um, mm. It's bad. So, yeah, that's our, that's our current tech stack. It'll probably you know alter and flex a bit. Yeah, and and do you think that you'll be keeping a lot of that even as you transition the team back into the office? Yeah, I, I would say so. Because um, at the same time, I took over control of the Sydney creative arm as well. So mm. you know. We now have a you know a, a location separated team, right? So we have to keep these things in place. So it's likely that we're going to keep rolling with Miro and all these things going forward, um, because we need a way to navigate that. And it's also probably allows us for a little bit more uh, engagement of freelancers and that sort of is that sort of thing over time. You know, really to kind of. Um, bring in the right talent for the right jobs in the future and that sort of thing rather than, you know, having such a big um, permanent team, you know, like it would be great to just be able to bring in a specialist in something, open up Dropbox to them, invite them to the Asana project. They can be part of it, work it out and, and be on for that project. Um, and then, you know, they can leave after that and it's fine. Mm. So that's sort of a big thing for me when I think about technology. That that's why I would be like, oh, there's got to be easy. It's got to be simple for people to onboard um, because I want to be able to do those sorts of things. I want that mm. kind of flexibility in my operations. I mean, imagine if, if the pandemic happened 10 years ago. You know, even 10 years ago, we didn't have these applications. We didn't have these platforms. Um, you know, I guess we're kind of lucky that it happened when it happened. Um, and that everyone was so quickly, not necessarily easily, but so quickly adaptable. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's you know, I know, you've seen it from like, you know, the clients and companies you work with, like some of them were really adaptive because they were quite sophisticated in terms of their digital operations. Yeah. Um, the companies were less sophisticated, had a lot of challenges, right? And um, I think that's sort of, it's a good benchmark now to like, okay, you probably need to stay at the edge, like, you know, at the, at the cutting edge of technology. Yeah. Just in case, you know, <laughs> rather than put things off for 10 years because it's fine as it is now, we never know. But I think the sort of forced decentralisation is a really good thing, you know, that can only deliver benefits for, yeah. for workers and businesses. I hear you. You've got so much experience to draw from. For you, what, what do you see as best practice when it comes to um, scheduling and running meetings and, you know, how often should they ha happen? You know, what should they include, do you think? Yeah, look, I'd like to say I've mastered this, but I just definitely haven't, right? You know, it's, um, it's, it's something that's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like you repeat the same mistakes over and over again. But I, I do think getting that meeting frequency right is, is actually quite challenging. And um, we, we like... We had sort of two problems with COVID, you know, obviously you worried about your team, you know, you want them to be engaged, so you might over, like, over-communicate and have more frequent meetings. But mm. I do think, you know, team meetings daily for, for teams and then I think, um, you know, for larger groups or, you know, groupings within those teams, um, maybe once or twice a week, you know, with regular pop-ins from senior management, that's my view, you know, that's sort of, you, you need to be, you know, you need to be present. Mm. Um, but you've also got to encourage those teams to be like as autonomous as possible and give them, you know, the ability to kind of run their own operation. So that's my sort of plan now is like what I've, what I've learned, I think, is that 
give teams more and more autonomy and um but at the same time be there for them you know be involved in what they're doing but yeah and upon reflection what was one of the more challenging problems that you recall solving in your career you know what what was the problem and ultimately what was your solution oh that's a good question okay um well, I guess the, the problem seems for me like the, the biggest problems that I just keep kept seeing is like um, focusing too narrow on something like mm. this. Like everything just becomes redundant in our industry. Like whether it's a media channel or a platform or a particular kind of process or service, um, and that's what I sort of saw. I came into the industry when it was beginning digitization, right? And I saw a lot of people become unemployed because their skills were no longer relevant when everything was digitized. Oh. I'm seeing the same thing again with automation, right? You know, within 20 years later, it's, it's happening again with automation. Um, and the same problem, you know, if you haven't worked on those skill sets and, and try and keep staying at the front, you do risk it, risk it. So, like, there's never a time with my only view is like, don't stop learning would be my view and you just have to keep going even yeah. even if it feels harder and you know things get stay alienating but you know i'm in my mid-40s right and I, I seem to stay abreast of roughly you know i'm falling behind now but um you know try and try and read what's happening in the world of technology and things like that and see what's happening in marketing tech um because these things are all relevant and they work out how, how you position yourself going forward you know um, and also how you position your business and your teams and everything. It's always relevant. So it's, at the yeah. time, it seems a little bit irrelevant, but, you know, stay across it would be my view. Like, the, mm. you know, there will be the next big thing. No one knows what it is yet. Um, but, you know, um, having some inkling of what's coming up and what might be um, useful to train in or, you know, learn about is probably, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'd like say that's what I've done well in terms of, you know, I've been able to respond to that. In my experience, every five years, you know, that there's something that seems to come out that threatens somebody's job, but from that, there are new jobs created all of the time. So you're absolutely right, as long as you're staying ahead of that and you're upskilling, which I think a lot of people have spent this year doing, um, that, that, that's what's important. Do you have a particular uh, blog or book or something that you've you've turned to this year that you, you you find is a good source of information for people in in your position. I, I literally like jump between like you know Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Um, I do find those social platforms give you good bite-sized information if you want yeah. something deep. In that like it's obviously like you know LinkedIn or reporting that's coming through from you know major players in the industry, whether it's. Facebook or Adobe or something like that. They do release a lot of reports, and even um, other agency groups do some fantastic reports on trends and changes. And it seems like you know a bit boring, right? You have to jump in your name and download the PDF. But that's you know that's kind of my you know heavy reading is that stuff, yeah. and the light reading is like how do I do this and this, and you know that might be on Instagram or how do I you know um, you know basically how to stuff right you know solving small challenges and then looking at the bigger picture stuff for reporting um i used to read more in terms of like sort of literature about about the industry but i just found it's um it's so hard for them to keep up to date it is. with that stuff so you know whether it's you know like so it's almost like what well, books published and i found it you know it's, it's hard or relevant um so yeah reports and they come out all the time most of them free and it's like okay this is actually great information to process but it's just a matter of 
following the right kind of companies. But there's a stack of good companies. I could probably send you a list of you know my day to day go to, um, sure. and, and also off, off off industry stuff, right as well. Like I do think it's um, you know I've always been a bit of a news junkie, so um, news and media are a thing I just enjoy, right? Whether no matter what the topic is, it doesn't have to be related to marketing. Um, mm. So I find that just switching around between platforms and experiences work well for me. Yeah, inspiring. But it's always awesome to spend time with you. I really, really appreciate your time today. I think um, having a chat to you about your tech platform um, has been uh, really educational and I really appreciate you sharing the information with us. No worries, Vicky. Pleasure to be here. All right, you take care and I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks, bud. Bye.